More questions than answers with Julie Panessi, brought to you by the Democracy Fund. Hi everyone, Julie here. I just had a fascinating conversation with Charlene Stiles, who is a nutritionist, a holistic life and metabolic coach. And you might be thinking, what are, why are you talking to a nutritionist? <laughs> um, but I think as you'll see when you watch the conversation, it's time, I think, to start looking at our health in a more robust way. And, you know, I work for the Democracy Fund and we are focused on civil liberties. And we have been told, I think, over the last couple of years that we don't have a lot of freedom when it comes to our health. It's not up to us to make choices about our health. Um, and I just don't happen to think that's true. And uh, Charlene and I have a really interesting conversation, I think, about all of the different dimensions of health and how things have changed over the last couple of years and how we can protect ourselves moving forward. So if you like this conversation and others like it, follow the democracyfund.ca uh, um, or our website or follow us on Instagram or Twitter. And you can follow me, Dr. Julie Panessi on Instagram or Twitter. I hope you enjoy our chat. You are a nutri nutritionist, right? Do you want to tell us a little bit more about your practice and what you do? Yeah, sure. So, um, my credentials in, in nutrition is uh, based on holistic nutrition. Um, and that stems from that all things that nourish us. So not just food, but so we dive deeper into mind, body, spirit aspects that nourish us. So I predominantly um, work with women, middle-aged women specifically. <laughs> That's usually who finds me. <laughs> um, but the base of what I do uh, stems from the nutrition foundation, the holistic nutrition, just um, supporting people's mind, body, and soul in all regards of life. There is so much going on right now, you know, and, and a year ago when I started having conversations with people, it was very much about COVID in particular. We were talking about, you know, whether the PCR test was, was valid and, and these case numbers and the vaccines and all of that. And um, but now I feel like there's it's what's gone on over the last couple of years has just revealed some more interesting things about where we're at in society and you know people's state of mind. And I used to teach at university, and when I was an undergrad, um, I think it was true that most people my age, this was in the kind of the mid '90s, felt that it was the best time of our lives and we had a great time. We developed friendships and. Uh, most recently over the last few years when I've taught, I've not gotten the sense that young people, you know, in their late teens, early twenties feel that way. And, and to be quite honest, they, they look and seem and say to me or said to me that they're very miserable, you know, and I, I'm curious about, um, what you've seen in your practice. So you, you mentioned mostly middle-aged women, but have you, what have you seen over the last couple of years? I mean, do people talk to you about how they're feeling both physically and mentally? And, and, and do you notice any, any patterns in that? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. Um, I, I definitely do notice some very broad brush patterns. Mm -hmm. um, and I think we can all attest to this, uh, the emotional impact on one's health, the sense of isolation, um, separatedness. Um, and what I see in my practice specifically is um, weight gain. So that's predominantly what I tend to deal with. And when we think about like why the body produces this extra layer of insulation, it really is for protection. So I know we've, I mean, our lives have been drastically changed 
during the last couple of years, obviously, and our patterns and our habits and how we able to connect and unite and even eat and share. Um, that's been very um, new to a lot of people and how to navigate these, uh, mm. these waters. But I find what I have found most is that um, it's pretty much all the same <laughs> types of complaints, sadly, um, where there's just this chronic level of fatigue. People are just burnt out. More so recently over the last couple of years than prior to that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And is that, does that have a physical basis, do you think? Or is it mostly mental and emotional due to the stress? Or is there a I mean, I'm very sensitive to the idea that the body and the mind are very closely related. So if your answer is going to be something like, you know, there's this psychosomatic connection, then I'm, I'm not surprised. But I'm curious to hear from someone who, you know, deals with people on a regular basis about how stresses affect the body and, and the physical symptoms we see from that. Um, yeah. I'm curious about what you're seeing. Yeah, and I, from my perspective, I don't, I don't understand how we can actually separate the the mental and emotional and causal body from the physical. It's all interwoven and mm -hmm. blended together. So psychosomatic, and I love that you use that term. That's something I deal very closely with. Um, and interestingly, I, I should have mentioned that earlier. That is something that I've been leaning more heavily in towards lately is supporting people from an emotional level using some uh, botanicals and homeopathics to help deal beneath the surface of the subconscious to help support. Um, I'm not a psychotherapist and by all means talk therapy is great. That's just not my area of specialty. Um, so I can support from a nervous system perspective or as I was saying, like the subconscious level of how your physical being can be supported and those drains of energy that we that we have I think a drain of energy can happen in many ways right it can happen physically um, but also it can happen emotionally when we're when we're we've got this slow little leak all the time that is you know drifting out it's it's not um, energy that our body can use because it's being kind of like slow leaked out um, so mm -hmm. those psychosomatic energetics I think are I think that's probably the whole pyramid of or the pinnacle of the pyramid of everything um, that I personally deal with um, because there is no distinguishing you know when people talk to me about their physical ailments um, we have to ask much deeper questions yes you're feeling that um, but our mind as you know uh, creates <laughs> so much of our physical experience right there is there and vice versa and I vice think. versa absolutely mm -hmm. it's yeah so, sorry go ahead uh no I was just gonna say I I, I followed the work of I don't know if you've ever heard of Dr. Hammer, German New Medicine so since I graduated from nutrition school over whatever 12 years ago now um it's the work of this of German New Medicine that's really come to the forefront for me and um, maybe we can have a conversation about that. <laughs> That's pretty deep, <laughs> a deep mm -hmm. dive conversation um, mm -hmm. because it's uh, it's a whole paradigm shift in terms of the way that we that we look at things. And um, if we're talking about the deeper level of viruses and his take on that aspect, um, yeah, it's uh, it's something definitely. Yeah. 
different than the medical conventional? Yeah, so one thing that has been very apparent to me, and, and you, you can should give me your take on this, is that it seems like um, everything we've done or, or maybe accomplished over the last few decades in terms of being more holistic in our thinking about health and 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 nutrition and medicine and treatments and um, it feels like we've had a backslide over the last couple of years that we've forgotten how um, that there that you know there there are non pharmaceutical treatments for various ailments including or conditions including viruses there are that also that immunity is a very robust complicated person specific phenomenon. And, um, and a lot of people I know, you know, other nutritionists, uh, yoga, Pilates instructors who tend to be on the, you know, non-Western, non-conventional, more holistic side of things in terms of their approach to, to exercise and diet and, and medicine have all very much fallen in line with this kind of one um, approach to COVID and one way out of it. Um, and I thought, is that, has that been a surprise to you or have you noticed that as well? Yeah, I think, <laughs> I think at some level we can maybe all agree on this. There's been such a divide in mm -hmm. um, kind of lanes that people have chosen. And I think it's very distinct. So I, I see both sides. Uh, back mm -hmm. Point about you know how we've gotten away from holistic and leaned on the conventional and leaned on you know what mm. authorities are purporting as uh, apparent health um, practices mm -hmm. versus the flip side of people that have been questioning this whole story and path they have come, taken a completely different approach and become more holistic. So I think mm. we've, we've probably seen it all, you know, people growing their own food and <laughs> becoming preppers. So I think there's like okay. this real clear contrast between both, both mm. uh, different paths. The people I, have, the, there's been more division, do you think, over the last two years, it's created more, more rather than less? I think it's almost made people pick a lane in a sense. And I'm, sh I'm sure there's people that are still in the middle and, you know, have a foot in each of those lanes. But from what I've seen in my perspective, it just seems like you're either on one side of the fence or the other. <laughs> and mm -hmm. um, on the more like holistic approach, um, we're talking about natural kind of solutions and practices and principles and questioning why they're not being discussed. Can you elaborate on that? What are some of those natural approaches, you know, either to increasing immunity to preventing viruses, including COVID, and then treatments once, you know, maybe you do get a, one of these viruses, including COVID. What are, can you just be a little more specific about that? Because I think a lot of people I talk to who are not in this kind of one specific lane um, are very surprised to hear that there's a discussion of um, pharmaceuticals and nutraceuticals that can treat COVID. They think, oh, really? I didn't know that, which surprises me after a couple of years of there being an ongoing discourse about this. But um, what, what are your thoughts about some of these broader uh, approaches to increasing immunity and treating some of these viruses? Well, I, I think if we doubt dial the time machine way back, um, you know, nutraceuticals and plant-based herbs and medicines and trees and brushes <laughs> and things that came from plants uh, were really the remedies of 
of all age and how were actually pharmaceuticals derived. They were, they were derived from the substances of plants and extracted and tried to made in a more, I would say, <laughs> um, scalable parameter so that there can be profits on it. And, and then in mm. that there's, there's chemicals that, that need to happen, but really mm -hmm. all derivatives of pharmaceuticals come from plant-based, at least that's where the origin stemmed from. And I think mm. we've become so disassociated with our connection to earth and to nature that, you know, we tend to lean on and it becomes our way out of just using pharmaceuticals and medications rather than you know the real work of changing your lifestyle changing your habits like let's talk about let's talk about nutrition and the food that we're eating what why if we started there yeah why do you think that's abs i mean i think it would be pretty uncontroversial to say that that's totally absent from the government response to COVID, right? I mean, I don't know. I, I can't think of a moment when um, Kira Moore or Teresa Tam mentioned getting out in the sunshine, increasing your exercise, uh, looking at your diet more closely in order to increase immunity. Why do you think they're not talking about these people are physicians? Yeah. I think I think that's a multifaceted um, question and probably the key question that we all should be asking, really. Why are we not talking about natural types of remedies? Because COVID's not the only problem, right? We, we I, still have uh, risks from heart disease and neurological problems and other viruses and um, obesity, diabetes, heart, cardiovascular issues. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So I guess, you know, I don't think there is any money to be made in health. Growing your own broccoli is not, is not going to make big business much. <laughs> I really don't. And I mean, I think, yeah. sadly, I think that's where a lot of our issues stem from is, is money and power. Um, so how would you replicate and you're right, make prof, uh, broccoli a profit? How is that doable? So there is far more money to be made in in medications and in pharmaceuticals and to be quite honest most people want an easy fix like let's be real i'd rather not me personally i've heard people say and have witnessed it i'd rather just take a pill and make the problem go away than me yeah, let's isolate the active ingredient in broccoli right. let's have you know <laughs> the drug company make that we'll take that pill in the morning as opposed to eating them right um it's, it's a bit of a oversimplified metaphor i know but uh, but that's what's going on largely isn't it that we i i i do believe so i i do believe we've become so conditioned that mm -hmm. if i have a problem i i don't question my body's innate wisdom uh, the processes, the biological processes that happen innately and naturally, mm -hmm. and in complete, in my opinion, beautiful harmony. And there's always a rhythm and a pattern and a system that our bio biology follows. Mm -hmm. um, and we've somehow become dissociated with that in, hmm. in, in a sense, giving up our power that something, it's something outside of us that will be the cure or the answer. And I think that gets layered with, you know, someone else has my best interest at heart. And I think we can agree, Julie, living in Canada and our, our health system, like 
if we were to entrust our health with our powers that be, our government, um, it's it's a it's a messy, slippery slope to get involved in. Yeah, it's very. I think it's a very interesting point you make, and it's something that comes up more and more. You know, when I do these conversations and in my own thinking, this idea that something outside of me is better, therefore turning over power to someone else, to the experts, is better. Um, we were talking about immunity earlier. This idea that artificially induced immunity or vaccine-induced immunity in this COVID case is better than natural immunity. Um, and that information that I get from the government is better than um, information that I collect myself or research that I do myself or knowledge that I build up. Is, is that a recent development? Has that been a gradual shift, do you think? I mean, I um, have a background working in, in bioethics and autonomy has been the, you know, I bet if you did a, a like a a Google Scholar search for words in bioethics literature, autonomy would be want number one or way up there because that's what we've been focusing on for decades, right? And yet it's been absent and downplayed and criticized and demonized, I think, even in this, this, current, um, this current narrative. So where do you think that comes from, this idea that the other is better, someone else knows better than me? Um, yeah, that, that's a great question. I, I wonder um, if that may stem from, you know, this level of confusion and, and uncertainty. So rather than, you know, being grounded in who we are as people, as humans, and our, our true natural essence, that we need answers or approval from someone else. I, I don't I don't know where that started to change. It's it's really interesting. Um, mm. I would suspect just a random step in the dark, um, but probably with the development of pharmaceuticals. And it's interesting, is it if, if that's true, I mean it's interesting that that medicine in particular could have such a profound effect on on how we think you know the trust that we have in ourselves generally um and our connections with be because you see relationships now i think falling apart over this issue mm. between spouses and family members and you know siblings and friend groups that if you don't if you don't trust um the expert who is outside of you the um, you know, Pfizer CEO, the Teresa Tam, whoever. World um, Health Organization, yeah. World Health Organization, keep going up and up yeah. and up, right? Uh, if you don't trust those people, if you dare to um, say something like, well, that's interesting what they're suggesting. I, I think I'm going to think on that for a little bit. I'm going to do a little bit more reading. That's not acceptable in many no. circles. And I wonder, you know, what harm is that doing to us? as individuals and, and, you know, in relationships, do you think in a long-term, I know you're not a relationship specialist, but I suspect that in your line of work, you, you do hear from people about how their relationships affect their state of health and vice versa. Absolutely. Um, I, I do think though that, you know, just coming back to your main point is the, the most, important relationship we will ever have is the one that we have with ourselves and if that trust isn't there um i think that's the basis of all other relationships and i think that's what's actually been frayed in our culture here in north america back to your mm. 
<laughs> last question. Um, you know, in the East, if you had some imbalances in in your in your physical being and energy, you would you would go see um, an energy master, whether it's for Reiki or acupuncture. In in yeah. other cultures, you would go see a shaman. Um, and what are they using? They're using all natural types of elements. And I think here in the West, our our next level has been the white coats and mm -hmm. and um, manufacturers of medicinal products. So we don't, I think we've always in here some at some level in the West have been dissociated from that true connection of in, in comparison to other cultures around the world where mm -hmm. energetics have been the mainstay you know, there was no testing done with when, when you open up your meridians with acupuncture, there was no double blind placebo <laughs> studies done. It just worked and you felt better or you didn't. And, and word of mouth probably, right? But oh, I went to the shaman, I feel great. So like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. I was on death's door, now I'm better. So it works, obviously, like you right. didn't need any testing. Um, and I think, I think at some level, that's what's happened. We've, we've given this power to these, um, to things outside of ourselves. And I'm, I'm sorry, I'm picking on pharmaceuticals, but I think that's really uh, at the- Kind of the fulcrum, isn't it? Of a lot of, <laughs> it, yeah. it kind of is because we've lost that association that our bodies can actually heal, heal itself given the proper tools and foundation mm -hmm. to do so. Um, and, and primarily that stems from what we put into it, that in, at, at all levels, right? So not just you know, food wise, but our thoughts, our emotions are what we surround ourselves with. As you said, sunshine, mm -hmm. being outside activity. I saw, I think you posted something in maybe stories in the last maybe 24 hours about how, and I didn't get to read the, the, the post, the article behind it, but something about how, you know, we are so focused on sunscreen and protecting ourselves from the sun. Can you, am I, is this a false memory? <laughs> no, it's not a false memory. Can you elaborate on that? Like, why is that so important? And we, you do, you hear about, right, you know, UV damage and sunscreen and sunglasses and hats and all of these things. And I'm sure you're not saying that that's not unimportant, but what are we missing in that story? Well, you know, this stems from me going to nutrition school. I came I came into nutrition school from a world of finance. I was in corporate finance. So for me, walking into health was like mind blowing. It just opened up my <laughs> box. It was so cool. And like, wow, why doesn't anybody like, why don't, why aren't we taught this stuff? Like, it's so fascinating and so, so helpful and supportive and yet so basic. Um, but I was on a, working on a, um, on an assignment um, having to do with uh, sunscreen and, and vitamin D. So, Interestingly, I asked the question, maybe wrongfully, like, where does the vitamin D supplement come from? And the teacher couldn't answer at the time. So I was responsible to find out where it actually came from. And, and if you want to know, <laughs> I do know where vitamin D supplementation come, came from. But one of, one of the professors at the school had done an extensive uh, study on sunscreen and found that there was more toxic chemicals in the actual sunscreen than mm -hmm sun exposure itself. So mm -hmm. we need vitamin D. And as you know, Julie, like vitamin D is a really large cornerstone for natural immunity. Um, 
it's responsible for for much more than immunity, but at the crux of this for this conversation, it's it's super important. I deal with a very specific uh, nutrition program for for clients, a metabolic balance program, um, where I do extensive blood testing to develop um, a nutrition program for them, a customized nutrition program, and I will I will always ask them to get their vitamin D levels tested um, because that's very important in terms of not only your natural immunity, but how you digest and you be able to metabolize and your entire metabolism. But there has been one person, I think I just had someone else just recently, the second person who have just come in on the very low end of okay. And our ranges already in our, in our society are just to avoid disease, not to be in optimal health. So those ranges are right. to begin with. So every other single person, so I'll, I'll say too, I think that, I think the second one is just on the inside of, or on the wrong side of low. Mm. So it just goes to show how much um, we are lacking of vitamin D. So what does that come from? Yeah, of course we live in North America and we have long winters and no exposure to light, but mm. I think also this, this scare about um, you know, we want to not age and we don't, we don't want to wrinkle. So the dermatologists tell you to cover up and not have exposure to sun. Um, and same with sunglasses, you know, how, how does our body actually produce um, any other hormones is by absorbing sun rays into the, into the retina so that we can produce all of the natural elements and hormones that actually block and protect our sun naturally. Mm -hmm. So not to say that you're going to be outside and outdoors for, you know, seven hours in the straight sun with, with not wearing anything, but having, but we shouldn't, every time we go to the window, we shouldn't have our Audrey Hepburn sunglasses and wide brimmed hat on or something. You know, it's very interesting on the topic of vitamin D. Um, I know a number of people, and this is just testimonial sort of evidence, but a number of people who started taking, you know, vitamin D a couple of years ago when they started hearing about COVID and hearing that that was one of the, the simplest, most inexpensive, safest things you could do. Um, and they all have just really incredible stories about it, that they've not only not gotten sick over the last two years, but a number of other kinds of health concerns sort of cleared up when they had, uh, you know, eczema and skin conditions and things like that. And I just think that's so interesting. I mean, it's a, it's an inexpensive, as, as far as I understand it, pretty in, safe as far as, you know, anything like that that you're putting into your body. Um, and it's such a shame to me that it is so, I think it's really demonized in, in the narrative, you know, I mean, it's, I, it, the, the range is either it's useless or harmful, right? It's, there's a range in there. Um, and you just wonder how, um, how, how useful it could have been for so many people, right? Think something so simple like that. And, and we have a bit of a tendency to distrust the simple, I think, don't we? That we think, well, that can't be right. That's just too easy. <laughs> it can't be that easy. You're right. Yeah, it can't be that easy. But you're right. Very cost effective. And, and you know, to anybody who's watching, I mean, there's, there's still chance to boost your own immunity by using by using uh, vitamin D and it is, it's actually, it's probably falsely labeled as a vitamin because it really is a hormone. So um, I heard this, what does that mean to say, why, why is it called a vitamin then if it's-, if it's Yeah, a that's, that's a really great question. Why, um, <laughs> why it's classified as a vitamin. It's like me asking the question of where does it actually come from the supplementation? I, I yeah. truly don't know why it's actually called a vitamin hmm. uh, when it is in fact 
affect a hormone. And can you, if people are watching and they're thinking, okay, but I hear that there are all these different kinds of vitamin D, what is it I'm supposed to take exactly? Does it matter? Yeah. I know when you go to the drugstore and you look, you know, you yeah. look at Jameson or so, there are a lot of different options when it comes to vitamin D. Is there one that's better than, is yeah. it D3 or? Yeah. Um, so just from my perspective, um, vitamin D3 is the active form of vitamin D, the most uh, bioavailable and absorbable uh, form that we can take. I personally recommend and use personally liquid drops rather than capsules. Mm -hmm. I will often recommend to my clients um, eight to 10,000 IUs a day, uh, depending on where they are in terms of their, their testing levels. Um, not to say that everybody out there should be taking eight to 10,000. Um, there is, as you said, Julie, very, there's no known toxic level of vitamin D unless you were going to take exorbitant amounts for an extended long period of time. Mm. Um, so you're right. Very supportive, very helpful. I like the drops because, you know, taking eight to 10 drops of something is far easier than taking eight to 10 capsules in a day. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, it's interesting to me that, I mean, I have a young daughter and really the only thing that's recommended from birth for babies is vitamin D drops. Interesting. Right? That's the only thing. So it, it's also interesting that that's recommended by, you know, um, the medical establishment, the same establishment that is suggesting that, you know, it's, it's so crucial for babies to have this early on, but it can't be useful at all later on in life. And, and you can imagine that that, that could be possible, that there's some reason why something benefits a child, but not an adult, but uh, it does raise a bit of a red flag, doesn't it? That we seem to have a bit of a double standard in terms of the value or the safety of this particular ingestible substance there there's a lot of red flags julie as you know <laughs> yes i do know <laughs> it's, just, it's a volcano of red flags. Um, this may seem a little off topic because this is not an ingestible thing but i'm just wondering as a nutritionist do you have an opinion about mask wearing is there any connection you know we've been um three weeks now since the mandate in ontario lifted maybe and in my part of ontario i've noticed that actually um, fewer people were wearing them when the mandate lifted. And now more and more and more people seem to be wearing them, which I think is very interesting. But, and, you know, there are all kinds of things said about um, some people feel that they're harmless at, at worst. Right. And um, other people feel that no, no, it causes respiratory problems and there's psychological problems. Is, is there anything a nutritionist can say to, to illuminate this for us? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm so sorry. I'm probably the wrong person to ask in terms of following, you know, what was reported as how they are helpful. And from what I, what mm. I see, um, and the data that I look at versus what's being presented to mainstream media is, is very different. So, hmm. <laughs> so what I, I I'm very curious about well, what I've seen is that um, the masks are not the way that the analogy that I like to use is like, it would be like trying to stop Niagara Falls with a strainer, like <laughs> micro particles. And I think also the way that the masks are worn, um, the multi-use purposes, there, there's many layers of, to their effectiveness. So from the reports that I, were, that I had seen early on, um, and maybe like you, I was following along soup and then till you actually question, you know, the validity of, of what's actually happening. So I, I agree. I think there's probably more 
psychological problems, respiratory issues. I know people personally that have to wear them for work for eight hours a day and have all kinds of sinus problems, throat problems, um, mm -hmm. respiratory issues. It, it, it gets much deeper. So, and there's the flip side, whereas medical professions have worn masks for, for long periods of time with, uh, with no qualms. Um, mm -hmm. I just, you know, I guess the flip side to the whole mask thing is, you know, I guess the question for me was always, we were kind of shamed into wearing it because I'm not wearing this for, for me, I'm wearing it for you. Well, how else, I just, that didn't sit well with me in my life. Like when else do we act in those types of hmm. cases um, where, okay, <laughs> if, shame. Let, let, yeah, shame. Shame. And There's a lot of that. I don't remember ever in life um, noticing that shame was part of propaganda or that shame was just in the atmosphere or that people or that it was traded in relationships, you know, and it just seems to be everywhere now. Yeah. And it's it's such a low vibration frequency of energy of an emotion like oh that's interesting low vibration frequency of an emotion what do you mean by that um so you know things like love joy happiness very high vibe frequency there's a vibration everything can be measured um hmm. from the vibrations of your everything has a hertz a natural hertz from your pancreas to your blood to your liver everything hmm. has its own natural frequency and vibration so if we come from that premise that everything is energy, emotions too can be measured. Um, there's all kinds of scientific data to back this up in terms of infusing different plants, different water molecules with different energies. Um, so love, love is good. the highest vibration there is. <laughs> Guilt, shame, anger, all very low vibrations. And, and I'm sure at some level, whether it's conscious or unconscious, I'm sure we've all felt that in the last couple of years where it's just this heaviness, this like blanket of weight that we maybe don't know what it's coming from. Of course, life has changed and things have changed and a lot of people have been at, impacted in various ways. Um, but I, I don't know how many people associate it to this feeling of powerlessness and, um, mm -hmm. and these low vibe feelings that anything that is energy, like we will resonate with what's what's around us. So if you're feeling really good and happy, and if you're around a person who's really low and angry, like you're not going to sink. Something's going to feel off for both of you. The person that's really low is going to be aggravated by this high vibe person and vice versa. Annoyingly happy, they'll say. <laughs> right. And the person that's high vibe is going to be full, pulled down. So eventually, like you just go in different ways. Mm. But um, there's this resonance that tries to attract these vibrations, right? So. Mm. I think that's when we're surrounded by all of these low vibes that um, that's where we start to vibrate ourselves. And yeah. where, where the shame stems from is very low caliber, low hertz, low resonance. And all this, we hear about virtue signal, signaling a lot, but that kind of trades in shame, doesn't it? It's sure you does. better do this because if you don't, you're not, you're not a good person. You're not, it's all, it's all kind of negative and heavy and burdensome and, and guilt ridden, isn't it? Yeah. And this to kind of to tie back to what we were talking about initially, if you're in that perpetual state of shaming 
and or being shamed. It's very hard to be um, positive and lifted and feel good about your body and your mind and your and have a good by mind have a good state of health overall I would imagine yeah yeah I, I I totally agree and I think that you know that virtual signaling is if if you don't care you must not um if this isn't important to you, you just must not care and it's not that we don't care mm-hmm. we just haven't been given a choice I think that's the Mm-hmm. And again, I think that comes down to an energetic perspective too. like not having the power to make your own decisions is very humbling and frustrating mm-hmm. and debilitating. When you talk about, you know, the, how the medical system isn't talking about natural kind of remedies, like something as simple as vitamin D, very inexpensive and accessible to pretty much anyone. In many cases, that has been silenced. It's been censored like completely obliterated like it doesn't make sense at all are you seeing um holistic practitioners being being censored in terms of their contribution to the to the discussion to the dialogue yeah yeah um one of one of the key ones maybe most people can relate to would be dr mercola yes the cardiologist from texas yeah Mm mm-hmm yeah, so he uh, he was targeted very heavily early on in the, in the height of this mm-hmm. pandemic, um, and mm-hmm. all of his work of whatever over twenty five years has been removed from. If you try to search anything for Mercola, it's completely gone. And he has self professedly had. Um, the virus himself, and he's treated people who have had sort of very extreme uh, versions of it. And he, 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 do, it's interesting because for someone who's a cardiologist and very steeped in Western medicine, also, from what I understand, has a very holistic approach to, to health. And um, it's, you know, when, when I think about it sometimes, and I think, some, sometimes I think, if we had done just anything else, we would have been better off. And maybe that's really pessimistic and cynical, probably is. But I just look at the harms that are, I just feel like are building up all around me. And I see people, um, most people I haven't seen for a while, and I see them again, weight gain, they look sad and gray and empty and then you start talking to them and they talk about you know I've had a job loss my children are suffering at school I uh, had all these friends that I've lost I don't know where we're going in the future food prices and gas prices are way up I don't know how I'm going to pay for things I mean people are really suffering a lot and I wish that it was possible to have discussions about multiple kinds of harms in different spheres of our lives without being um, censored and, and canceled and blocked, you know? Yeah. Or at least have the option to investigate what route feels appropriate for an individual rather than just one specific path. Like mm-hmm. as a natural healthcare practitioner, Julie, I, when I, when I meet with anyone, I do, a, I, I'm required to do a full health intake and understand their medical history before I can recommend any, any course of action. Mm-hmm. And this is not just in my profession, it's across any medical well, should be uh, across any medical field where mm-hmm. you need to know the history of your client or your patient before you can recommend anything. And it's, it's fascinating to me that there's one blanket answer for absolutely everybody from mm-hmm. 
uh, a hierarchy of people that I don't even know. They don't know anything about me or my what my goals are, what my beliefs are. They don't even know my spiritual beliefs or what I do for a profession and that their way is the, the only way. One thing that's been, I think, so interesting over the last year, especially, is just is seeing the transition towards what I've called conspicuous medicine. So taking some of these healthcare decisions out of the context of the physician-patient relationship or, or, you know, whatever, whoever the practitioner is, uh, patient-client relationship, and um, you know, these these vaccines, for example, are being administered at like the Air Canada Centre by who knows whom that you've never met. And so there's no sense of taking a history, uh, contextualizing these decisions within other healthcare decisions that you've made. There's no sense of being able to assess things like informed consent. And that so that seems to me to speak to a broader uh, transition that we've seen over the last couple of years. And I wonder how that will also um, factor into other healthcare decisions that we see made in the future. And, and I worry about that breaking of the bond of trust between a person and a healthcare provider that you know something about, you have a bit of a track record with, you know. Um, I know we're, we're kind of running out of time, but I, I do wonder if you have some sort of practical ideas. If people are watching and they're listening and they're saying, you know, I, I understand everything you say, but I'm still worried about getting sick. Um, and I'm also worried about some of the longer term health effects of lockdowns and, and, and what are a couple of things that you can tell people that little couple little changes we could make today we're going into spring and summer and you know are there things we can do to kind of rescue ourselves from this you know this entrapment this malaise do you have some ideas for us <laughs> yeah well my personal go-to always is to get outside in nature and I find that that is the most corrective measure that I can do is just to be disconnected from all of the noise, all of the stimulation, all of the screens, all of being in your head and, and kind of contained and getting outside where things are natural in rhythm and everything makes sense. It's in harmony, it's balanced, um, it follows biological rhythms, circadian rhythms. You're getting your vitamin D. <laughs> right. So getting outside, getting fresh air and seeing the sunlight and the, one of the most beneficial things that any of us can do is getting sunlight first thing in the morning. So as soon as you wake within 30 that minutes. That makes a difference? Yeah. So there's some neurobiology studies that are, that are done about um, having sunlight exposure directly into um, your eyes outside, outdoors. So you don't even have to be walking. You could just be sitting outside. And even if there's cloud cover, looking into the direction of the sun, obviously you don't want to burn your retina. So you want to be careful. Um, so without sunglasses, being outside and having exposure to sunlight. So what that does is it communicates to our natural rhythms, our circadian rhythms, and all of our body clocks of how to um, produce hormones from there on in. So mm -hmm. once, once um, the serotonin is tripped, that is going to signal when melatonin is produced at night for you mm -hmm. to sleep. So it's helping your own body clock be in sync with, with nature. So I would say that's the first recommendation, get outside first thing in the morning, get exposure to sunlight, even if it's just 10 minutes. Um, and move every day, see if you can get some movement, getting the blood flow happening, circulation into the body. It's going to be very supportive and helpful. It's going to make you feel alive and maybe give off some endorphins. And our bodies are actually built to move and not to stay still. Mm -hmm. Vitamin D is another great, as you mentioned, um, 
supportive hormone um, for immunity, for metabolism, for bone health, for delivering um, all other nutrients to, to your cells. Zinc is also a supportive um, mm. mineral, I guess we'll call it, we'll say, um, or nutrient that would, would certainly be helpful. I'm a nutritionist, so you know, food would be one of my top choices, like eating foods in their natural state as best as possible. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I find can really bring down a person's emotions is um, being on the perpetual cycle of sugar that creates this high and this drop. Um, so I work a lot with metabolic issues and balancing insulin. So this up and down cycle um, is a peak of energy. We feel really good after we have some ingested some sugar and then we crash and we feel down. And the only way to get back up is have more. So if you can break that sugar cycle, um, that would be probably very supportive. The other thing that I find, and I don't know, I see a little bit of this waning at some level, um, was the dependence on alcohol in the last couple of years. Well, we, I know that the addiction levels of alcohol and, and drugs both have just been skyrocketing over yeah. the last, which is not surprising. I mean, you're, you're, you're terrified, you feel alone, you're stuck in your house. <laughs> what are you going to do? And, you know, our politicians were very good to keep the liquor stores open. So, yeah. and you want to numb your pain and that, that will do it. <laughs> and what, Interestingly, though, is alcohol is a depressant. So at the time, it feels really good. Mm. Um, but it too affects your blood sugar and insulin levels and, you know, your quality of your emotions and how you sleep. So um, if you're looking to like raise your vibe or your energy levels, um, cutting out the sugar and the alcohol would be really supportive getting outside eating fresh fruits, vegetables, things mm. from natural sources, like, you know, proteins in their natural sources and limiting anything that's processed and full of more chemicals. We're kind of back to this Mediterranean diet idea again, aren't we? I mean, there's nothing new under the sun. It's quite simple. It's get outside, eat food that's as close to nature as possible, get some sunshine and move. And we don't, I, I think sometimes we have a distrust of something old or something that's tried and true or uh, if maybe, but, but I think maybe we need to dust that idea off the shelf and, and bring it back because what we're doing doesn't seem to be working very well and, um, and trying a different approach might be good. I know we're, we're just about out of time, but if people are interested and they want to follow you some, uh, you, have, you have such interesting things, you know, you follow people on Instagram and, and they don't always, um, you know, deliver on the promise of what they offer, but I think you just have such interesting things to say, both in terms of practical tips for eating, but also some um, more general ideological ideas about our, our health. And so where can people find you if they're interested? Well, first, Julie, thank you very much for that. That's very <laughs> um, It yeah. takes a lot of work. I know, I know this. It's... <laughs> thank you. I don't know. I, I think I just try to be authentic. And um, some days you question whether how much of yourself to reveal, especially in a, in a public format. And when you're when your opinion is not popular. So there's a fine line of how much do you share and should you share? And so mm -hmm. I do appreciate your comments. Thank you. Um, yeah, so Charlene Styles, you can follow me. My handle on Instagram is nutritionist underscore Charlene Styles, or I'm sure if you just, you know, type that in Charlene Styles on Instagram, you'd find me there. I don't hang out much on Facebook anymore, so I wouldn't recommend you there. If, uh, if you wanted to check out my website, purenaturalhealth.ca is where you can find me. Or you can just message me at uh, Instagram, I guess. <laughs>
Yeah, easy. Thank Charlene, thank you so much. I just think these are the kinds of conversations we need to be having and, and we need a, a kind of breath of fresh air. We need to have another, um, another voice in the arena giving us ideas about how to live better lives overall. And I think you've done that for us today. And I really appreciate that voice that you're contributing. Thanks so much, Julie. Thanks.